Hey folks, hello. We're back again for another episode of Conversations on India. And this is going to be episode number 44. And uh, we're just waiting for Panda to join before we get started. There he is. Let's invite, accept. Hello. Hello, sir. Kaise ho? Kya batao kaise hain? Jab jab baalon se jab jab answer ki dekhta hu tab tab baal ud jate hain. To iska ek hi solution hai ki answer ki na dekhe jaye aur baki kaam pe zyada focus kiya jaye. solution na dekhe jaye. Exactly. Because you never know which question is going to get cancelled, which question is going to get, you know. डिस्टर्बेंसिसटीज that have been committed by the cops uh, you know the okay. encounter cases are on the rise and uh, there was this lakhimpur khedi incident recently in uttar pradesh uttar pradesh has become mm-hmm. a you know, hub for this and after that yeah. uh, i think so we should also shed some light on the air india case you know yeah. from tata to tata exactly so, so yeah uh, the air india disinvestment and also uh, there is an index that has come out very recently uh, called the global hung- global hunger index in which india has not done too well so uh, we will take a look at that as well and then uh, there are a couple of other programs there is the gati shakti pm gati shakti which has just been gati launched shakti. and then yeah. right. uh, the ncr region is being redefined and there is a draft uh, status which is coming up and uh, kan kanthi singh mera status what is his status yeah kanthu aa ja yaar to discussion mein aa ja you know ha kanthi if you can come live on the discussion you would be business capital award business capital <laughs> yeah you know bureaucrats are good at using flowery language but Obviously. sadly that is the only thing they are good at so <laughs> never said tata tata anyways uh, having said okay. that so you know, we'll yeah. be starting again i think so with the cold discussion yeah so, let's just uh, cover the points again okay right. and i'll add uh, start with the context Uh, again i am humbled okay rahul i don't think so you are humbled you are just avoiding us but anyways please humble us someday anyways let's start yeah. with this uh, discussion of coal so what uh, the issue is that you know uh, recently there have been news that uh, india does not have much stock of coal left and mm-hmm. uh, multiple states they have announced that they will be going into a complete blackout state of energy production from coal uh, within next couple of days and uh, that that is that that is something you know uh, a case to worry about not all states few states uh, including delhi and uh, few southern states such as tamil nadu kerala so uh, that that is the uh, basic thing so now what we'll be discussing today is that what led to this coal shortage and what were the reasons of this coal shortage and what are the implications that this coal shortage will do and how can we overcome the shortage and what are the steps that need to be taken up in future right so uh, i i yep. uh, you know hand over to you as uh, what do you think led to this shortage of coal was it artificial shortage or was it uh, a natural shortage you know was it created or what what was it you know so yeah uh, there are a few different factors which are all uh, playing into this so uh, the first thing is that there has been an eruption in in the power demand um g- given the pandemic all of us at home uh, the summers are just passing so the uh, demand for electricity has been at an all time high and uh, as you know coal is like the major source of energy for india then uh, the monsoons have just passed uh, which also means that all the coal mines have been flooded and uh, you know there has been heavy rainfall which has slowed down the extraction of coal in the mines then uh, if if you remember as soon as the pandemic started all of the business activity in the country had shut down and most of the labor had traveled to their homes so uh, the, the labor uh, shortage still uh, you know continues and uh, the shortage of labor is also playing into this uh, shortage of coal 
because there is just not enough labor to actually take it out of the mines and uh, it, the the, the uh, supply shock is actually global in nature so uh, we have uh, people or uh, countries with deeper pockets than india uh, who have been outbidding us uh, for coal and uh, despite being one of the largest producers of coal uh, india also imports a lot of its coal so uh, from that uh, market of the international market of coal india has been priced out so all of these factors have contributed and uh, this has resulted in uh, a coal shortage all across uh, india and in fact all across the world right 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 you know i would just like to add few points to this uh, the factors yeah. uh, yes surge in demand that that is uh, absolute you know because the businesses businesses mm-hmm. they are now even growing quicker than what they used to pre corona Uh, because we had a yep. slowdown right uh, mm-hmm. uh, before the corona crisis hit us the second thing is uh, disruption in the labor force right because coal is a capital intensive sector uh, and uh, that capital includes labor so this is uh, something that that causes disruption i think so monsoons have a very important role to play the, the monsoons mm-hmm. and the flooding of mines the unexpected rains that you know uh, the prolonged rain uh, that went on I- even in the month of september multiple mines were flooded you know and coal extraction could not be made possible this is another reason uh, that added to the crisis and uh, apart from that the fourth and the most important is that uh, in india imports its coal and yes india is the fourth largest producer of coal but india is also the second largest consumer of coal so it imports mm-hmm. the coal uh, from world and uh, initially the prices of coal were around 40 to 50 dollars and they have risen to 150 dollars uh, right so uh, mm-hmm. and uh, how this rise has occurred is that china is purchasing coal at whatever price it can get you know china consumes more than 50% of the total output of the world coal output so this thing needs to be noted in china is and china is you know china has uh, decided to cut its uh, coal consumption by 2030 by 50 55% and it is still building on more plants so uh, that that is a paradox that is going on and so that is uh, the demand that Uh, that that uh, china is requiring and it led to creation now coming to india mm-hmm. india has uh, basically coal coal uh, are of four types you know anthracite is the best quality of coal it has the highest coal content and the lowest uh, volatile and ash content it has 90 to 95% of coal content in india it is only available in shrinagar that too in very small amount not uh, you know presently uh, the technology is not uh, we, we we don't have enough technology to procure it at a cheaper price so we are not procure, uh, you know extracting it apart from that we have bituminous and lignite and peat so india has this lignite and peat more that is more ash content and that is not useful so we are importing much more amount of coal in india this is the coal scenario and this is the situation that has led to it now what government has done government has said that the uh, holding of the coal cannot be done for more than 10 days of stock uh, earlier this limit was 14 days because you know uh, companies keep a two week buffer before they can run out of coal mm-hmm. right and why is this a big problem for india is because india's 70% of energy requirement is still uh, fulfilled by coal you know uh, yes we have the introduction of windmills uh, we have nuclear power plants we have uh, solar power plants and uh, you know solar energy but still 70% is fulfilled by uh, this and out of that 70% 80% of the coal is procured by uh, coal india so this is uh, something that ne- needs to be worried now we are uh, i i have uh, another question for you that uh, this this mm-hmm. whole crisis that we are facing is it only related to the power production sector of electricity or uh, does it have vast uh, you know implications in uh, across india yeah so um, the thing is that coal is one of the eight factors uh, which is included in the index of industrial production so since in india a lot of the uh, manufacturing activity happens in the unorganized sector it is hard to you know measure uh, what is the exact Uh, amount of economic activity that is happening so that is why uh, what we do instead is measure the inputs to to that manufacturing so all of the basics of uh, you know manufacturing such as steel refinery products petroleum coal all of these form a part of the index of industrial production and coal is definitely one of the biggest uh, you know contributors to that index so uh, the shortage of coal not only affects the power sector the power sector is obviously the most affected but uh, you know uh, lack of power hurts all of the industries together and what this will, it what it will also do is increase the prices of energy and uh, these increased prices of energy will be reflected everywhere 
so uh, even in manufacturing you know uh, biscuits or uh, laptops or your notebooks everything uh, requires energy and when uh, you know the basic quantity which is coal uh, that goes up in price or or you know that becomes hard to procure it affects everything so it is like a tide which raises raises all the ships together right right you know okay so basically it is in connect yes. wherever energy is required not only electricity consumption uh, regarding all these sectors yeah. as that as what you are saying mm-hmm. right uh, Definitely. i also have another question uh, from you you know since it's going to raise this prices do you think that this can also act as a uh, opportunity or we can you know exploit it as an opportunity to uh, create more and uh, favorable energy resources for india right uh, we, maybe we can shift to hydrocarbons and hydrates uh, we have you know the largest stock in the uh, krishna godavari basin of uh, this methane hydrates so do you think that yeah. uh, this is something that india should explore uh, presently because uh, that is uh, what is what it is said na ki aise uh, mm-hmm. inventions only ha- help you know inventions only happen when uh, it's the need so that that is what they yeah. said uh, necessity exactly. is all invention so do you think that true, uh, true, is there time that india can uh, india should not only can india should and what do you think is the way forward for this crisis in short term and long term yeah so uh, as, as far as shifting to other sources of energy is concerned it is definitely required and it is also on india's agenda given its uh, you know uh, commitments um, as far as the climate goals are concerned or the sustainable development goals are concerned so there is definitely a commitment from the government side to shift to more renewable sources of energy but those are you know very long term in nature the most that we can expect from this crisis is to increase the speed of the shift from uh, non renewable to renewable energy but but then again that is a few years down the line it is not going to help us immediately as far as the immediate steps are concerned and the way forward uh, looking at it right now uh, i i think uh, one thing is that we need to reduce our power consumption so that uh, you know uh, we don't have to suffer uh, power cuts or you know uh, we don't have to suffer uh, suffer through rationing of power so so we can reduce our power cuts and then uh, the other thing is just to ramp up our uh, production of non uh, of of renewable energy sources so uh, this includes wind solar hydro power the uh, methane power that you just mentioned so yeah uh, all of these are steps in the right direction but uh, these are not really short term in nature these are uh, long run changes which have to take place over the course of a decade right so what do you think is the immediate uh, uh, say we run out of coal in say 10 days or say 15 days for for example mm-hmm. we run out of it in 15 days so what do you think is the way forward how will we manage this crisis that is about to hit us yeah i i think we'll have to suffer through uh, you know uh, massive power cuts and uh, we'll have to get used to a life uh, 15 or 20 years ago when we used to have uh, power cuts almost daily thankfully uh, in in the recent times at least in the urban areas the electricity has been uh, you know uh, there for most of the time but i think we will be going back to that stage and uh, there isn't really any short fix that we can do like there is no way to deliver energy to a billion people uh, if if your uh, you know uh, if, if your traditional energy networks are trapped so uh, right. yeah I, i mean there is no short term fix here right uh, yes so i think so government will prioritize the sectors that need an immediate uh, you know supply of energy such as hospitals and uh, mm-hmm. i i think so that that will be done and states have started to cut down their electricity uh, you know consumption mm-hmm. and also uh, they have started to introduce the power cuts such as rajasthan have done so in past uh, it has started a power mandatory power cut uh, per day uh, for an hour but i think so it might rise if the situation is uh, going to remain the same so i think so yes yeah. uh, and uh, let's just see what happens uh, how will we avert this coal crisis Uh, another way is to purchase it at a very high prices but ultimately it will result in a costly electricity you know using any other fuel mm-hmm. instead of coal uh, we can even use petrol and crude oil but again it will lead to more pollution and also higher prices so let's see what is the way forward and uh, this is something that is going rounds in media that you know uh, yes yeah. coal prices have shortened but we have plenty of papers to per, you know supply the bills so that is something uh, that needs to be uh, taken into account so next 10 days days i think so are going to be crucial and let's see how it turns out right i i think so there might be an increase in coal, uh, electricity prices but uh, no short term solution is uh, what i agree to right so i yep. think we have discussed enough uh, on this uh, that that has been going wrong mm-hmm. now yeah so pick up another topic uh, 
yeah 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 and next i wanted to discuss the disinvestment of air india so uh, let me just uh, pin the comment here so yeah uh, air india air india is definitely uh, or was definitely the most visible uh, public sector company in india uh, I, i mean there are other companies owned by the government which are more important there are other companies uh, you know uh, which might fetch a higher price but uh, this was definitely the one which was most visible and uh, you know even if we go back to the uh, reports of cag in in the 2010s uh, there uh, air india has been mentioned as a representative of the indian state itself and uh, you know uh, the, the air india has long been not functioning well and uh, in uh, I, i think in 2012 there was a bailout package worth 30000 crores and air india was in a debt of 67000 crores at that time and uh, this malfunctioning of the company has only increased under the uh, under the thumb of the government and uh, this this comes as a welcome step but before we delve into the details of what has just happened it is uh, worth looking at the history of of air india so uh, panda do you want to uh, uh, take us uh, through the history of air india a little bit maybe and i can fill in um, if if you miss out Somewhere. yeah basically you know there is nothing much in the history of air india it it was the pride that is it was the maharaja of uh, indian airlines that that is how we quoted it and also presently mm-hmm. it is the maharaja but that maharaja is not the maharaja of medieval times but of british times so uh, mm-hmm. yes the situation has uh, turned bleak for air india and it started with the, the tatas uh, i i don't remember the year exactly so it was yeah 1932 Tata Airlines was, was the year when it started off uh, as a venture of uh, Tata, you know, the group then owned by JRD Tata. Yes. So uh, the legendary visionary, uh, you know, tycoon, uh, business tycoon. And after that, uh, government in 1953, if I remember correctly, uh, privatized it uh, and made it uh, private. Uh, you know, you know, not privatized, basically purchased it from Tata and. Uh, made it a government venture because they needed something yeah nationalized it nationalized it sorry that is the exact word so they needed uh, this air lines for themselves and ever since it has been working under the you know command of government government has been controlling it completely this this has mm-hmm. been the uh, scene but it has uh, lately especially after the disinvest uh, especially after the 1991 after the lpg crisis you know it could not uh, compete with the new airlines that had come in Going to the prices, and even now, you know, I I I always used to wonder, and you used to travel by Air India, and I I used to ask you this uh, question that you know the prices of Air India are approximately one point five to two times of what other price what other airlines are, you know. So mm-hmm. it has always uh, had a higher price than compared to other uh, carriers, and as a uh, you know, it was trying to cover up for its losses or whatever be the case, you know. So uh, after. this lpg reforms of 1991 when there were more uh, airplane sectors that had come in uh, this start, uh, this air india could not compete uh, to that level with them so it started making loss and this loss got accumulated uh, rest you have mentioned apart from that there was also one more major factor that led to this decline of air india that is oftenly uh, ignored is that uh, airlines such as jet airways which you know which have recently come into line uh, they they had started some you know non ethical uh, practices because they were clubbing and giving their tickets at a much cheaper prices and they were suffering loss just to eradicate air india from the competition you know temporary loss mm-hmm. to eradicate the competition so this is something that that was going on uh, fortunately they were caught this time and uh, no one to bail out jet air but uh, this was also one uh, reason that led to the decline of air india you know so i i think so that uh, yeah. now coming back to tata is also a symbolic symbol you know starting from tata and then coming back to tata why the government route so this this is uh, one thing but i think so that this uh, carrier uh, in its history through the course of history from 1932 to 2021 that 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 we are seeing you know approximately 90 years that we are seeing this that uh, th- this has remained the you know symbol of government till now uh, definitely even till now uh, it has been used for private uh, it has been used privately for the government uh, you know representatives and uh, uh, now let's see what 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 the future lies but for me yes this was a maharaja uh, for the first i would say after uh, nationalization for the first 40 years and after that uh, for the next 30 years it has been a bit in disdain and lately it has been uh, you know not very uh, I, i would say not very health in in a very healthy situation 
So this was the history mm-hmm. of uh, Tata Airlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely, you have covered all the major points. I will just uh, you know uh, go back and fill in the blanks. So Air India's first flight was uh, Karachi to Bombay, and at that time it was undivided India. So both the cities were of course part of India in 1932. In 1946, uh, just at the stroke of independence, the company went public. It renamed itself from Tata Airlines to Air India. Then in 2007, it merged with Indian Airlines, which was you know. another uh, company which was badly performing and sort of to cover the losses or to hide the bad balance sheets of uh, indian airlines it was merged with air india but then air india ran into trouble there were attempts at uh, disinvesting air india early also so in 2018 the government has had attempted a 76% uh, stake sale but that had failed and uh, this time it has succeeded going back to its original owner and uh, this time the disinvestment is complete so so this is in effect uh, privatization not just a uh, disinvestment now I, i just want to take a moment and reflect on the big uh, you know uh, sort of the symbolic uh, gesture of this move so uh, you know air india is the most recognizable brand of india so uh, you know there are all these surveys which uh, you know calculate the brand recall value for 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 different brands and from india air india is the most recognizable brand worldwide and uh, you know uh, what what this means is india has moved on from its uh, socialist past and it it's now uh, fully embracing uh, its capitalist future so uh, right after independence uh, uh, that was a time where uh, jawaharlal nehru was a uh, ardent socialist and you know the, the whole of uh, indian government uh, sort of took a socialist turn india was very close to the ussr we signed a treaty with them in 1971 which was to ward off the american influence and uh, you know uh, all of this continued all through the first 40 years of our independence and that is when the lpg reforms came in in 1991 and india sort of took a turn towards the right and uh, th- this disinvestment is sort of very symbolic in nature because uh, this uh, sort of marks down the end of an era where uh, businesses were run by the government and now we expect more and more uh, entrepreneurs to come up and more and more private companies to come up so that they can contribute to india's growth story so air india uh, considering the bigger picture is definitely a step in the right direction uh, now uh, i i uh, want to sort of delve into the details a little bit as well so uh, there is this uh, department of investment and uh, public asset management dipam which was uh, earlier under uh, ministry of heavy industries uh, so that had been shifted to ministry of finance in the last budget and uh, that was with a view of you know affecting all of these disinvestment agenda uh, that 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 the government is on so if if you know there is something called the national monetization pipeline which is effectively monetizing all of uh, the public assets owned by the government in order to fund the infrastructure development in the country which is exactly the right thing to do and it is like uh, very commendable on on the part of government because uh, you know giving away all, all of these assets uh, th- these are uh, these require a strong political will and and i think uh, this government has that political will and and uh, it this, this is a step in the right direction and what it also does is it, res- it reduces the fiscal burden on on the government because uh, air india has always been a loss making venture uh, as you mentioned i, I had always traveled uh, in air india earlier because you know i am the son of a government employee and uh, you know all the government employees uh, they they have uh, you know certain schemes going on where where they get some discounts on on these national carriers which are owned by the government and that is why uh, these companies can never function in in profitably and what this also does is it is not only bad for the taxpayer uh, not only bad for the budget not only bad for air india the brand but it is also bad for the aviation sector in general because in the aviation sector as long as air india was owned by the government the fair competition did not exist because all the other airlines had the condition that they had to operate profitably but air india had no such condition because in no amount of losses like it could it could mount any amount of losses and the government would still bail it out so uh, yeah i i mean uh, the, the, this step is also you know a uh, sea change in in india civil aviation sector and uh, going forward i think uh, the civil civil aviation sector will see huge uh, growth because this was like one one of the factors which was holding the sector back 
so uh, yeah th- these are uh, two or three uh, points that i wanted to mention uh, regarding the privatization move and and you know the uh, the shift towards capitalism from socialism so uh, if if you have any uh, anything to mention here any yeah, last yeah, words yeah. about in india that 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 is it you know i'm just hopeful that uh, it, this venture might again turn profitable under the guidance mm-hmm. of uh, mr tata you know uh, th- that that is all i can hope yes uh, definitely it is a non profit it was a non profit uh, asset for government and it needed to uh, be privatized and uh, that is what government has done it has freed some money and that can be invested now mm-hmm. into the uh, nmp the monetization pipeline for its project so i think so for government it is a step in direction and for uh, mr tata it is also a symbolic step you know more emotionally attached and uh, you know he's capable of turning that venture back uh, profitable so i think so it is a win win situation for both uh you know uh, money for one and emotions for the other that is what i would say yep and i think with that let's uh, close down this topic and uh, move on to the next one so right. uh, next i wanted to discuss the global hunger index hunger if index. that's okay yeah okay so let me just put it in the chart here uh discussing now global hunger index okay so uh this index has been released for 2021 uh, and uh, it it is released by these two organization uh, one is the german organization welt hunger life so uh, this is uh, this has a german spelling welt hunger life and then the other one is concern worldwide so uh, these two organization have uh, put together this index it ranks 116 countries but it does not include all of the developed world so usa most of western europe uh, these countries are not part of this index because uh, that is to say that these countries don't really have a hunger problem only the worst uh, worst performing economies of the world have have a hunger problem and india even among these uh, worst uh, countries is is ranked 101 so uh, we are only ahead of 15 countries and if i read out the names of those 15 countries uh you would probably feel sad for being a part of such uh, of of such a distinguished group and uh, before going into uh, you know all the comparison of rankings and you know checking where pakistan is and checking where sri lanka is i i just want to uh, you know uh, cover the uh, cover the factors on which this index is based so this index is based on four factors uh, one is undernourishment uh, then uh, the second one is child wasting so child wasting is uh, that uh, uh, the weight of the child is less than it should be so uh, for, for for the age yeah, for, for that particular age then child stunting child stunting is the height of the child is is less than what it should be and then child mortality which is uh, deaths uh, due to mortality so these are basically the four factors on which this index is based and uh, you know the government uh, has also come out with a statement on this defending itself so uh, ministry of women and child development has uh, basically put out a statement saying that uh, the the uh, the data is uh, the, the way to collect the data is very unscientific uh, so uh, what they have said is that uh, uh, the index uses data from fao which is a food and agriculture organization on undernourishment and there what they are doing is they are calling up people and sort of taking a four question telephonic interview and based on those the answers to those questions they are you know uh, calculating the undernourishment data so this uh, this particular process has been flagged by the ministry and they are saying that this is not uh, very scientific in nature and uh, you know this does not truly reflect uh, the the sad reality but at the same time we should remember that uh, the same process has been followed for all the countries it is not as if the process has only been followed for india the same has been done for all the other countries and if india when compared or you know using any sort of methodology if if it ranks at such a low stage then uh, instead of you know blaming the index itself we should probably look at uh, what we are doing wrong and uh, you know uh, try and understand what is the real reason behind the went such a bad performance so uh, if, just to give you guys an idea india uh, ranks only two uh, places ahead of afghanistan which is at 103 uh, then uh, india is behind pakistan nepal bangladesh and sri lanka which are all between 75 and 100 and india is of course at 101 so uh, this is sort of the, uh, the the context in which this index comes out now uh, panda if you have any comments on this uh, we can have those and maybe we can also cover some of the schemes that uh, the government is running uh, to address this hunger issue uh, 
uh, uh, I remember there was this food fortification that uh, initiative that government has come out with, and there are a couple of others. I will get into those, but uh, first I would like to bring you in into this topic as well. Right. See, uh, when we are talking about global hunger index and the factors or the parameters that are used to calculate this hunger index, uh, starting from undernourishment, mm-hmm. then going through wasting, stunting, and mortality. You know, it, it is uh, it is. no unknown fact that the uh, india is the worst impacted country uh, with stunting with a percentage of 38.4% according to national family health survey for 2017 and uh, india had a target of reducing it to 25 uh, you know by 2025 so that was 25 by 25 uh, 25 by 25 this is the target you know reduction and it, it had uh, this national nutrition mission that we are discussing about it had a target of reducing anemia stunting uh, wasting Uh, and uh, you know this child mortality but yes uh, owing to our population uh, and uh, the number of children that are present in india uh, stunting is definitely uh, pro- uh, that, that is reflected and uh, i have no doubt whether it's the uh, method of collection or whatever it is uh, india is definitely poor in stunting when it comes to stunting when it comes to uh, undernourishment uh, it is one of the aspect of stunting like now when it comes to mortality this is the saddest part you know in india uh, a lot a lot of children uh, in fact a lot of people if if i were to quote exact number uh, i remember that i read last year it was just above a lakh a lakh and few thousand uh, a lakh uh, 1000 and something so they had died of diarrhea that could be you know uh, their lives could have been saved by simple ors solution so th- this yep. this was a, a data and this is more than the number of deaths uh that that had occurred due to the road accident i'm just i'm just telling as to uh, the, i'm mm-hmm. just comparing the perspective as to what could have been done by simple ors pouch and uh, you know th- this is just the perspective that i'm trying to say yes india is in dire situation uh, when it comes to this and uh, fine uh, maybe maybe the methodology maybe again i'm just quoting maybe the methodology is incorrect okay maybe we are not 101 maybe we are 91 you know we are no better than that mm-hmm. uh, this this thing is for sure this is uh, the first thing so i think so in my uh, this uh, defense government rather than you know uh, going back and saying the methodology is incorrect or flawed government should start working because uh, these rankings 101 this year and uh, last year it was 103 out of 118 uh, no- nothing good right so these rankings need to be improved and these can be done only when uh, you know the progress is actually done on the ground level the government needs to uh, interfere you know we have a few schemes that will be discussing about but just just to give an example in the global innovation index we have consistently increased our ranking improved our mm-hmm. ranking in the last 5 years and same is the case in ease of doing business because we are facilitating those and it is visible so now why government is not quoting that you know your methodology of collecting ease of doing business data is not Uh, correct or wrong so th- th- this is this is my point that you know you cannot go and uh, say that it is biased because this is the same methodology that has been used for all nations right yeah. so uh, government definitely need to do something on this uh, aspect and uh, n- not only the external data but also the internal data that india has the national family health surveys they have also shown that india is a bleak situation when it comes to these four specific factors you know uh, and a fifth factor that is anemia which is not in this index but it is general yeah so i think so the uh, ground uh, level reality check is needed by the government instead of blaming back to the organizations uh, we we need to start working on it and uh, i'm not just blaming this government because this is not a, a problem that can be sorted yeah. in say 5 years or 3 years or 10 years this is a problem that needs vision right and if you start today uh, the result will be seen uh, say after 10 years so this is the uh, mm-hmm. uh, level of dedication that government need to do and these programs that uh, that they once start need to continue and not change over time this is uh, my view on this yeah exactly and and uh, you, you mentioned anemia which is i think a great point because uh, half of indian women which is 50% of all indian women are anemic and anemia uh, is basically lack of iron or, or deficiency of iron In, in 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 the body and and this is actually a problem which is worldwide but in india it is especially pronounced because of the bad uh, nourishment uh, record that india has now I, i just want to take a moment and go through all the schemes that the government is running for uh, sort of uh, you know uh, the better development of its population so of course there was a national food security act in 2013 which covers 75% of uh, uh, urban population and 50% of the rural population uh which basically says that no person should go hungry and everyone has the right to food 
uh, e- even if you don't have money you can still uh, visit uh, you know uh, a- any of these ration shops and uh, depending on your uh, level of poverty you will get uh, very cheap grains and food and, and in fact india has plentiful grains and it would do well to distribute those out to the hungry so that you know we can uh, make good use of of our huge stockpiles of grain then uh, there is the poshan abhiyan which was uh, started by again uh, ministry of women and child development in 2018 Uh, which aims to reduce these three exact factors which is uh, stunting undernutrition and anemia so uh, I, i mean uh, it's not as if the government does not recognize the problem it does recognize the problem but the thing is that it has not been uh, you know uh, solved when il- well enough yet then the other thing that i wanted uh, to reflect on for a moment was the food fortification program that the government had come out with so uh, basically uh, food fortification uh, implies that every sort of uh, a- every kilogram of rice being uh, given out by the government will be fortified with uh, iron iodine zinc uh, and vitamin a and d so this is also i think a right a step in the right direction because it increases the amount of nutrition which is being generated from these distributed grains right and then uh, there was the mission indradhanush uh, which which i think has done very very well so mission indradhanush was that it it immunizes uh the, the the newborn uh, babies or the underage people with with a bunch of uh, different vaccines and uh, you know uh, medicines so that they don't catch on to diseases because disease tends to be a huge part of undernourishment i mean it is not just access to food when you get sick what it does is it it you know reduces the level of your health and then whatever health you might have gained when you were healthy you tend to lose that and a disease is a huge part of undernourishment or child stunting so if we can just prevent the diseases a lot of this problem can go away that is why steps like immunization are much appreciated right so yeah i mean uh, there is also the integrated child development scheme uh, which is quite a quite a old program it was started in 1975 but uh, i mean uh, it's 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 not as if the government hasn't realized that there is a problem but still i think the execution is somewhere lacking and we need to invest more into uh, you know feeding our population and making sure everyone is nourished because you know before we go for economic development we need to make sure our human development is is, is you know uh, on 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 par with our ambitions so right. yeah i i think uh, that is all from my side as far as uh, this topic is concerned just for ending it i will just uh, you know quote two points yeah. and uh, one is uh, the, 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 these type of terminologies these health factors they are termed mm-hmm. as election problems you know what election problems are <laughs> yeah. that uh, they they are not uh, on a specific agenda for elections because elections mm-hmm. are fought for a term of say 4 to 5 years so you win uh, you stay in power for 5 years and again you win on new agenda but these are election problems because these require long term solutions you know uh, maybe that you start an agenda but the next party that that comes after 5 um, say 5 plus 5 that is 10 years uh, it it reaps the benefit so this is something uh, uh, they are cursed by this election uh, agenda uh, or election mm-hmm. problem as to say this is one thing second thing is uh, we talked about enemy and we talked about various programs uh, now for our viewers let me just connect them they are interconnected so this uh, having one of these problems let's just say anemia so if the mother is anemic it starts a vicious cycle so the child that is born is you know uh, under nutrition and she is not able to take proper care and then you know wasting stunting it it goes on and as a result that child when grows up and uh, if she turns out to be a, a mother then she will be anemic or under nutrition and will keep going on so this is something uh, yeah. that, that how the things uh, go on right uh, now i think so government needs to uh, take the steps or the steps that are taken government needs to uh, you know uh, put a clear indication of what the result is you know have an outcome based uh, funding and uh, target should be specified on these districts that are performing very poorly uh, instead of you know uh, making it one size fits all for all the districts uh, such as kerala and delhi they have been doing marvelously good and states such as manipur they are not doing very good so i think so manipur needs to be focused much more uh, when compared to kerala and uh, funding should also be in that proportion yeah uh, definitely and i think uh, with that we can close this topic uh, just last thought that i wanted to mention was ki uh pandareti mentioned that if the mother is anemic the child turns out to be anemic as well and another thing which sort of goes in the other direction is if you educate the mother uh, uh, about the right kind of nutrition it it tends to have a multiplier effect on 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 the uh, nutrition outcomes of the country 
because uh, you know it is uh, typically the mother in indian households which takes care of nutrition for the kids so if 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 the mother knows what is the right uh, you know uh, steps towards nutrition then uh, she, she can uh, affect a much larger uh, sort of uh, population group and a lot more people can emerge healthy instead of uh, being undernourished so i i think uh, this needs to be taken up uh, very keenly and and you know nutrition and uh, sort of the right kind of nutrition may, needs to be made part of our uh, of 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 you know our education uh, system and and uh, you know kids need to be uh, taught uh, that uh, what are the different elements of right nutrition and how can they maintain a healthy lifestyle for themselves right so uh, yeah i i think with that uh, let's close it down and uh, i i don't really have any other major topics uh, is there anything topic. else or we can yeah sure i have a topic you know uh, let's see yeah and uh, this this topic is uh, atrocities by cops and babus right. uh, you know bureaucrats and why is this in news is because uh, the chief justice of india uh, he has pointed out and he has observed that bureaucrats and uh, cops are uh, you know voluntarily they are they are taking orders uh, from the uh, political class and they are acting as a tools of political class whereas the citizens uh, are you know not getting the services or they are impacted uh, in, in a poor way so and this is this is something that has been observed by the chief justice of india and uh, they are civil servants but uh, public servants but they are not working for the public is what was observed and uh, mm-hmm. they, they, this this specific comments uh, come uh, uh, with regard to the adg case of chatisgarh you know he has uh, sought protection uh, due to some alleged corruption cases and uh, things like that but i will just be making it very short and crisp you know uh, we won't mm-hmm. be taking much time so basically what what this topic is all about is that uh, in recent years last uh, few decades or i would say decade uh this uh, heroism of the cops uh, has you know uh, reached a new height you know they are getting inspired from the movies like dabang and singham which also has a positive impact on the society uh, in in a way that you know it tends to motivate young people to come up for the services but after they are into services they must realize the reality and you know forsake that dabang and singham attitude but it has not been done so as observed in few encounters uh, i'll just quote them out to you Uh, one mm-hmm. of the uh, up lakhimpur firing very very uh, recently you know lakhimpur case yeah. uh, firing another was the illegal encounter of uh, dubey you know gaadi apne aap palat gayi and uh, no one actually uh, knows mm-hmm. and uh, another one was the illegal encounters and there was this hyderabad rape case uh, you know and where there were encounters uh, they, they were killed you know not going into the uh, righteousness of the action that was uh, you know uh, done let's just stick to the point uh, as to what uh, police is for that is maintaining law and order and uh, not for delivering justice that is what our courts are for right and it is being said that the steel frame uh, that that was visioned for india has started to rust down and an important fact mm-hmm. for our audience that prior to 1947 there was only single encounter in the history of uh, india uh, in the history of british india you know there were judicial killings and orders by judicial court you know there was death of lord mayo in uh, 1870 in andaman 1872 uh, but only one encounter by the police forces and uh, a very renowned and that was in the uh, I, i would say uh, in 1921 in the park lucknow park of chandrashekhar azad and that was the only case and that was also uh, that, that 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 was the only uh, encounter case that was reported before 1947 and after 1947 leave 1947 let's just say in last 3 years there have been multiple cases of encounters that have been reported so on this stance uh, there were comments of this chief justice of india uh, mr ramana that that was made so uh, i would like to ask you that what has changed over the decades you know uh, uh, earlier in 1960s they, uh, these civil servants and not only i'm, I'm not saying all civil servants i'm just saying uh, plenty few you know a handful of civil servants uh, are, are the ones that are you know creating but uh, all all the sector is impacted so what do you think has changed over the years after independence as to why our bureaucrats or our police forces have become uh, so overpowered uh, and why are they so you know uh, why why have they become a political tool yeah i i think what is taking place right now and it is actually uh, quite frankly very dangerous for a democracy and uh, you know for social harmony is is that it is very getting very hard 
to punish uh, these uh, you know bad bureaucrats or bad uh, police officers because what what usually happens is as as soon as you go to uh, you know punish any one of them all of them sort of unite together and and uh, it 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 becomes very hard for uh, you know even strong willed administrators to actually punish bad behavior on their part because uh, that risk uh, you know uh, uh, getting this disfavor from the whole service so i i think that is very very bad uh, even if these trials don't happen publicly there should be an internal uh, you know mechanism which can hold uh, these uh, bad performers or or you know these these bad actors accountable so whether it is some sort of departmental hearing or or it is done you know behind the scenes but but there should be some sort of mechanism using which we can hold hold these people accountable because what they are essentially is doing is misusing uh, their office misusing the power that has been bestowed upon them by the state and and uh, they are they are acting against the public interest so i, I think uh, what what needs to be done here is that uh, a we need to break the nexus between the politicians and the uh, police officers because uh, what often happens is uh, that these police officers become the private a sort of uh, you know private security of of these uh, politicians because uh, a no one can punish them because they have the hand of the politicians above them and b they, they don't focus on their public duties or their on on their role as police but then uh, only become as tools in the hands of these politicians so we need to break this nexus uh, between the political class and between the executive class and then uh, what for that Uh, uh any bad behavior is punished and it is punished by law so uh, these these mechanisms need to be in place if they are not in place it it really threatens the liberty uh, which which we all love in 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 our country all right see <clears throat> also uh, you know uh, this law and order and uh, police is a state subject so each yeah. state has their own mechanism Uh, it is placed in the state list for an audience, and state can uh, exclusively make law on these subjects, and parliament cannot uh, under normal circumstances. So uh, we we cannot blame the central government. Each state has its own law, and there was a Prakash Singh judgment, a very famous judgment of two thousand six. Uh, you know, he was uh, posted in Uttar Pradesh, and uh, re- regarding the, he was an IPS officer. He is an IPS uh, ex IPS officer, but you know, uh, a man mm-hmm. with uh, impact in. impeccable record but what was uh, made in this prakash singh judgment was supreme court had laid few guidelines that state should follow to maintain the neutrality and impartiality in the services but no state has implemented those guidelines even after 15 years so you know this is disheartening to see and i think so it's not just the political will i think so it is the connection between the you know the tool that they have become in the hands and vice versa and again quoting not all just a few that are you know uh, destroying the reputation of this uh, forces is one thing to say okay just last question uh, from my side for the day is that do you mm-hmm. think uh, uh, this uh, bollywood culture that is seeping in the uh, po- positives and the negatives of the bollywood culture along with mm-hmm. the slow law process you know uh, with the judiciary and the slow law process is to blame for the heroism or i would say the extra heroism or whatever can you say the police forces crossing the line uh, over duty because they feel that law is not being served properly and uh, they take law into their own hands do you think that this is the case or uh, case might be something else yeah uh, i i think what you have mentioned is very very important and and it is very true so uh, i i mean there are multiple factors contributing to this a that uh, you know uh, the police persons never get punished for anything that they do which sort of you know uh, gives them more courage then uh, the second thing is that indian judiciary is exceptionally slow one of the slowest judiciaries of the world so uh, the police are not really sure even if they catch the criminals and you know put them in jail they are not really sure if the judiciary will ever get to them and uh, that you know incentivizes them to take the law into their own hands and make sure that the justice is delivered uh, you know uh, by the police person himself and i think the third thing here is that uh indian police forces also uh, lack a culture of training and and you know uh, there is a huge sort of gap in 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 sort of what sort of skills they should have and what they actually do have and uh, the other factor is also that indian police is uh, you know uh, very very low in number even when you compare it to the sanctioned strength 
so the strength that has been you know uh, uh, budgeted for and you know approved by the government even that strength is not there and i think only one third of the sanction strength is currently being served what that means is that these police personnel uh, the, the whole situation is is actually far beyond their capabilities and what it makes them do is is, is they become more and more uh, you know unsatisfied with their job and 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 they end up uh, you know committing atrocities uh, just because of the uh, dissatisfaction that they get uh, from their job so i i think uh, this whole system uh, it it has problems all over the place and and this cannot really be fixed by one fell swoop this is sort of a long and arduous process which we need to go through as a society because otherwise we risk uh, you know all of these important values that we hold close to our heart whether it be liberty or it be rule of law you know police is supposed to be an enforcer of that and uh, right now in india seems like that the police is actually the chief aggravator uh, when it comes to you know uh, uh, preventing the citizens from getting these important uh, things so yeah i, I mean uh, lack of training a uh, huge uh, you know disparity between the sanction strength and the actual strength on ground the slowness of the judiciary the bollywood culture uh, you know sort of heroism that that seeps into these services so i these are all contributing factors and and something really needs to be done so you actually you know believe that slow judiciary uh, overburdened uh, lack of training and a proper lack of a proper deterrence Uh, is 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 the way uh, that that is creating these problems and uh, these things need to be cleared you know creating definitely you know punishing a police officer and if it creates a deterrence for the next generation of police officers uh, you know a uh, someone they can idealize upon and also someone they can see upon as to not uh, go in that direction you know, that that sort of deterrence i definitely feel uh, is lacking in india you know uh, definitely no police officer has been uh, uh, punished uh let's let's not take names but there were cases in maharashtra recently political linkings of police officers with the uh, ministers and uh, yet yet they had not been yeah. you know charged so again not taking any names but yes i i do believe that you know timely justice is one thing that needs that society needs and this should be ensured uh, and it's not only yes uh, yes definitely it's police and uh, uh, this babu's uh, atrocities that uh, chief justice of india has quoted out but i think so he should also set his house right Uh, himself uh, because you know uh, lack of laws uh, these imp- uh, these cases that are pending for so long uh, ultimately <laughs> somewhere they lead uh, you know they create a sort of uh, I-, i would say mindset or favorism in the society that impacts the police force uh, to take actions so uh, yes i think so these are the uh, things that need to be taken upon and the prakashing judgment you know uh, should be followed in uh, spirit and heart uh, so as to you know maintain impartiality prakashing judgment had few points you know fixing the term tenure for certain number of years before transfer and no arbitrary transfer without giving proper explanation and so the, these were some things but they have not been implemented so that is that right so i think so uh, mm-hmm. that is all uh, for today from my side and uh, if, yeah. if you have anything we can take that up and i think so it's fine yeah uh, i i mean i i don't really have a big topic i just uh, have a couple of uh, things that you can mention so uh, there is this new program which was uh, recently launched uh, which is called pm gati shakti which uh, by all means uh, is, is just a repackaging of the national infrastructure pipeline scheme which which you know came out a couple of years ago this time it might have a couple of different improvements but there is not really anything major right it just you know the huge emphasis on infrastructure which is being uh, you know put by this government and i think that is positive uh I, i don't know what was the problem with the earlier program but this new program seems to have come up one thing that they're stressing particularly is the interconnection between different modes of transportation so uh in, in india has good roads india has good railways india has good ports uh, sorry india has good, good shipping but the it is a interconnection uh, which is lacking so you know uh, shifting from rail to road or from road to uh, sea or from sea to rail uh these these are sort of the pain points of of the indian logistical system and the plan is to come up with these logistic parks which you know um, make it seamless to convert uh, you know one from one form of transportation to another so i i think it is a step in the right direction and let's see where this goes uh, the government seems to have a huge uh, you know plan for investment in, into infrastructure and for that they have also come up with something called a national monetization pipeline 
so they they have a plan to uh, invest huge amount of money into building of infrastructure but again all of this is state funded we don't yet have the means or or you know have the right attraction for private sector funding to come into infrastructure uh, which is i think a huge uh, huge loss for for indians in general because uh, the government is cash strapped already it has demands for uh, you know it's 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 it's, uh, it's money uh, which is into defense into health into education and into infrastructure as well so if we can get some of that private sector money to flow into infrastructure that can work uh, wonders for us so so that seems to be lacking currently which is you know one of my criticisms of of the infrastructure approach uh so uh, do you have anything to mention on this uh, other than that i have the ncr redefinition thing uh, which has you recently know, been undertaken uh, definitely nothing more to add but uh, investment is both public and private and yeah. uh, india definitely lacks private investment and until private investment matches that of the public or i would say even crosses <laughs> that of the public efficient infrastructure creation is uh, you know out of question and that that is yeah. the efficient infrastructure that is that is the word because private sector use their money very efficiently you know uh, so th- this is one thing that needs to pick up and i think so government taking the lead is a step in very right direction and uh, the private sector might join in when they see the outcomes uh, that this might generate uh, that's all uh, on this side yeah ncr yeah 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 so yeah uh, the other thing that happened recently was that the ncr uh, region is being redefined so earlier it included you know all of these districts uh, it included like five or six districts in haryana so couple 14. of districts including uh, districts uh, sorry in 14 14 in haryana a couple of them in rajasthan some of them in up as well so ncr was this huge expansive area and the idea was that uh, let's not have uh, you know uncontrolled development in in the surrounding uh, regions uh-huh. of the capital and and let's try to make make it you know a planned development but now the stance seems to have changed uh, the boundaries of ncr have been moved inwards so mm-hmm. the current definition or or the uh, the one that is being proposed in the draft is 100 kilometers from the rajghat so so mm-hmm. that you know uh, sort of gets rid of some of the boundary areas in this ncr redefinition which is i think good because this makes the scheme more focused and and uh, you know uh, the more focus we can bring into government efforts the better it is because when the aims are very expansive uh, then the results are uh, very very bad so as long as uh, the thing is really focused i think it is good and uh, this is again done uh, so there is this draft uh, development plan for 2041 which is being worked on so so this is like development of the areas around the capital uh, until the year 2041 so for that is for the next 20 years and then this new uh, definition of ncr has come in so i i think this will uh, lead to some changes in in terms of planning but as as far as the life on ground is concerned i don't really think it has you know any major implications there it it will you know it will just implement the development process uh, it will just uh, you know focus on the uh, development progress and the uh, you mm-hmm. know because there are multiple limitations on ncr personally i i know the limitations on ncr so having yeah. uh, this limit of 100 kilometers is a very uh, i would say a, a better thing you know covering 14 districts of haryana that is a huge number uh, when the sambhav will come down to say 100 kilometers it will just cover seven districts or say six districts of haryana so other foundations that were earlier put on on the other districts that the development is limited that the vehicles uh, cannot be used above this certain age or wh- whatever these are so these things will be shifted now and uh, this will lead to a growth mm-hmm. and huge infrastructure development because uh, when uh, in this region of ncr is ordered by the ngt national green tribunal right so uh, these uh, now another uh, time which is now presently coming you know cold has, winter has already started it's raining and uh, now now there will be a sudden drop in temperature so now the pollution yeah. in delhi ncr region will increase and this ncr region pollution will uh, you know have its contribution in the development activities but the development activities that are above 100 kilometers do not have a very direct impact on ncr but they used to suffer the development process used to get halted uh, because the order was implemented in the delhi ncr region so i think so this is the only major implementation that outside this region the development will uh, begin at a very fast pace compared to what presently it is going on and the limitations that are put on it will get removed so i think so uh, that is the only uh major change that might happen ground level i don't think so there will be anything all right so yeah uh there you have it folks i think that is the end of uh, today's episode uh, we discussed quite a few things uh 
uh, it it range on a range of topics uh, starting from the coal shortages to the air india disinvestment then executive action and uh, you know a, a couple of shorts towards the end as well so uh, see you again uh, next week we'll be back on our usual schedule uh, which is episodes every friday uh, we were off for the last couple of weeks because of our commitments but uh, now everything will be back on track so uh, thank you to everyone who uh, tuned in live and who's going to watch us later on uh, do follow us uh, subscribe uh, and uh, like and share our content it really helps uh, us find new people uh, who, uh, who who can you know uh, join us as well and as always uh, thank you so much to panda for uh, showing up and uh, putting in the goods again thank you professor and thank you to your wifi today yeah uh, thanks to the wifi uh, we we don't have to be dependent on the 4g gods uh, yeah. for for the network <laughs> definitely all right folks uh, thank you so all much right. take care bye 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 professor